Hello, and welcome to the Immersive Chemistry Podcast, a podcast which examines the intersection of chemistry, chemical engineering, game design, educational sciences, and technology. In each episode, we explore the impact of immersive learning research on these fields through interviews and discussions. I'm your host, Tim, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse. Jesse, how are you today? I am fine, thank you, Tim. Uh, well, so today we will present and share uh, with the audience an interview that we have a couple of uh, days ago with Sorkin Solmas. He is working uh, together with Tom Van Herven, uh, which is the coordinator of the project. So, yeah, so why don't we listen to the interview and then we can have a little discussion about it. Okay. So, great. Thank you, Sorkin, for joining us today in today's episode. Uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about what are you doing with the charming and uh, maybe if you want to share something about your, your past life? Uh, well, thank you for having me here today. I'm very glad that uh, we are having a podcast in our project. Um, so starting with my background, uh, I obtained bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at Istanbul Technical University in 2014. Afterwards, I started my uh, joint master program, which was uh, I was a master student in Istanbul Technical University in Thermopolis department. And concurrently, also, I was working as an R&D engineer in an uh, international household applications company for two years. Uh, after all this experience, I thought that maybe I could have another twist in my, uh, in my way because I was always a curious child <laughs> throughout my childhood. And afterwards, I found uh, another master degree. It was the second one in uh, fluid dynamics again. Uh, I had my second master degree in Wong Karman Institute for Fluid Dynamics in Belgium. I started October 2017 and nine months I spent over there working on multi-physics fluid dynamics using basic ultrasound for uh, some interactive uh, numerical cases. And afterwards, uh, it was still like, I really like having challenges in my research and Daily basis, for instance, I read a lot of articles every day just to see how even how physics works and how researchers are currently working on different uh, physical phenomena. And uh, also, I will say I really like uh, paying attention on explaining things to uh, people who have who are curious about the physics and also uh, the other uh, applied science. Uh, for this purpose, I have opened up a blog article and start to explain how it does work. For example, how beer forms. Mm how aerodynamics works for a car outside and different kind of topics that I could uh, explain over there. So far, I have an experience on uh, fluid dynamics, which means that uh, it's interest in fluid flow in different fields. Also, uh, I have a decent experience on computational fluid dynamics. In fluid dynamics, we could say we have two different cases. One is experimental campaign. You can do experiments to investigate a fluid flow. And also numerical part is like a digital twin mm -hmm. of an experiment. So I choose this simulation part because seeing the simulations, carrying out simulations, it was like doing a game behind because you are fixing a lot of parameters and then yet you have an outcome. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. I fix parameters and I have these results A. If I change parameters, I will have results B. So it's like a game in the end. If you find something can be validated against the physical side, it's like, okay, I achieved it. So it was really interesting for me and that's why I pursued my career in this field. And afterwards, uh, after the second master degree, I said I was looking for another twist. And I suddenly found charming project on Europe, Euro Access website. It's European, uh, European Union's website where you can find PhD positions supported by EU. 
And when I seen Charming Project, it was like fluid dynamics. Okay, like <laughs> it works for me. Ultrasound, mold, physics, chemistry. These are all the fields that I had hands-on experiment. And also I seen that there's something related to game. And I was like, what? It's a PhD position. How would it be possible? So I said, okay, let's give it a try. Afterwards, I met with my supervisor, Tom van Gerwe. He was also had recorded the first episode with you. And he explained how uh, he had planned a transition from traditional engineering to uh, novel methodologies that we can use, for example, ARVR in education. And my uh, PhD has started afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. This is how I can say from my background to today, how I can, came up. It's it's really great. It, it sounds like it was really tailor-made for what you have been studying in the past and also your interests. Mm -hmm. uh, so then now, uh, what is your re uh, general research focus in, in Charming? So what are you going to do exactly? Mm -hmm. uh, in Charming Project, I am an early-stage researcher in Charming Project in KLW, Belgium. Uh, my main concerns here is to uh, combine CFD simulations or engineering simulations mm -hmm. with AR-VR uh, environments or technologies. In fact, we are just calling that immersive environments, but same in immersive also will cause some troubles as we have experienced. So in fact, using AR, VR, using engineering simulations with AR, VR mainly, I could say, uh, from which context that I am working on this project, it's a software development part. In the project, I am trying to develop a system architecture, which kind of softwares, which kind of hardwares, and which kind of numerical models that we should use to transfer these engineering simulations inside mainly game engines. Because if we can process these simulations inside game engines, which means that we can easily implement AR, VR to engineering simulations. And throughout the project, uh, firstly, I'm going to develop, I have already been working, but also in the end, I have completed my first year. And uh, in the future, I should come up with a, a database in which we can collect engineering simulations and run in game engines just for visualization or even interaction, but without any pedagogical aspect, just for the technical part. And afterward, developing some AR VR cases in which we can create educational environment to teach students how fluid dynamics and multi-physics uh, interaction might work. That's um, very interesting, Sirkin. I'm particularly interested in the type of AR applications that you have been working on. Do you have an example that our listeners might be interested in that it's related to teaching people about topics that you're researching? In fact, here we are, I am using ARVR just for processing data. For me, it doesn't even matter which technology that I'm going to use because if I can transfer simulation data into game engine, which means that AR and VR, whatever I want, I can easily use. And at first I start using AR because which was looking for me more futuristic because we are uh, digital native generations like millennials or Y or Z. And I could say we are already uh, familiar with this rich, fully virtual environment. We are playing games. We have Meet the Madness, for example. We are playing games, just driving car around the town, which is in fact a digital twin of a real uh, physical environment. But using AR, which bases or backgrounds uh, physical environment behind the uh, digital data, looks, I think, quite futuristic for me because just seeing how full it flows inside the room, in a real room, for instance, when you wearing a glass and seeing that how full it flows, for me, this really makes sense. Like, <laughs> oh, this is futuristic. How they people can do that? Because even just doing a fluid simulation is quite challenging because these fluid simulators or CFD solvers, computational fluid dynamics solvers, let's say, these are developed by engineers for engineers. So all the steps mm -hmm. to develop a simulation, it's quite complex. There are several steps. If even right now, if I 
will like to explain those steps to you. It will take, I think, one hour because there are mm -hmm. a lot of parameters and a lot of things to tune before doing a simulation. So here in this project, I think this is quite challenging, but also will be uh, an outstanding achievement if we can handle this using these simulations for end user because end user will not know what is happening behind in terms of simulation. They will just hit parameters and changing parameters, they can directly reflect back some uh, results into their virtual environment. So right now, for instance, in this room example, air flows inside the room. And when you hold up your hand, you can interactively see how fluid flows around your hand. So uh, they don't have to do any simulations. They don't have to use any of these complex environments that will be all fixed and tuned in order to facilitate an interactive, uh, easygoing environment for them. So that's why I started working with air at first. And uh, well, um, this is all I can say, in fact, for the why I use air. Uh, and well, while, while you were developing, or since you are developing this, have you faced some challenges in order to translate these uh, software uh, tools into what you really want to do? Because as you mentioned, like this is made by engineers for engineers, but to translate it for other, other in this case, game engines, is, is there anything that you have faced already, like very challenging? In fact, yeah, Charming, I think itself is a whole of challenges yeah. <laughs> because every step that I took here, I seen that there are a lot of challenges and I just tried to get rid of or solve these challenges intuitively. Uh, from simulation part, I have I have had six years of experience in the field of uh, computational fluid dynamics. So I basically know how can I carry out a simulation. For example, if there's chemical reaction, I know which kind of tools that I can use. If there's aerodynamics, also I know, for instance, which kind of tools that I should choose. So the starting point was a bit easy for me because this is <laughs> the mm -hmm. field that I know. But afterwards, using this data into AR, VR, and also you have a CFD data set, like your results, and afterwards you should process this data to uh, integrate into AR, VR. This was a bit challenging because when I start building up all these uh, prototypes that I have right now, I made them intuitively. I just opened up some YouTube videos. I just wrote how to develop a VR application, mm -hmm. how to use a virtual button. I just let them go. And of course, it was like a starting point for me. And afterwards, in order to make it scientifically sound, uh, I started to read some literature. And according to literature, what I have found here, I think it was, I think, a bit the downside of this uh, using these simulations in AR VR. People generally made these applications also intuitively. For example, they just used a dedicated software or dedicated software with a dedicated data format. So in the end, they are just showing a very exclusive path to develop an environment, which is, I think, a downside of the literature right now because this really creates some hurdles for the people who would like to develop those kind of environments. So these were the challenges that I figured out, luckily, because I should solve some challenge in my PhD apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and I start to further develop how can I come up with a generic system architecture in which I mean people who wants to develop an AR VR with simulations, they can just start. I am just giving them a starting point and showing up the opportunities in terms of data, data processing, how they could uh, proceed. Can I just ask a question about that again, Serkan? So you're saying that when there were some types of um, simulations that could potentially be used was that mm -hmm. not accessible to the public? Exactly, yeah. Because yeah, for the public, um, even for the engineers who has not been carried out, carried out or has not been participated in a project where there is no numerical uh, experiments for, I guess, I'm calling that numerical experiment, they wouldn't know how it does work. And when they start building up some simulations, at first you are creating a CAD file 3D model, you are pre-processing data, calculation, visualization, data storage. It's a bunch of data that you should process step by step. 
So, in fact, we are trying to democratize these simulations mm-hmm. even for engineers also. Mm-hmm. It's for whole community, I guess. And those engineer, those simulations are, you know, they're 3D assets. These are 3D simulations and completely visual it can be. So it can also be assets for the students to make them make a virtual environment more interactive and also more educative. Because one of the downsides of AR VR so far is uh, technical content. You're developing an AR VR environment, but generally people are just putting very decent uh, objects or very decent assets. But uh, if you p- can put something very interesting and, and educative content, a digital content, I mean, uh, this will really contribute in the future. Do you have any insight into why something like this hasn't been done before? So why, if we look at computer science, for example, a lot of the research that's done there is often open sourced using GitHub or things like this. Do you think it's the reason might be there's not a tool that easily allows scientists or researchers to share their their data or is it more because there's a there's a commercial use for it? Uh, what I will say here is in fact, um, it's a complete multidisciplinary research here because uh, in order to simulate something, you should know the theory behind it. You should model, for instance, for a chemical reactive flow, you should know fluid dynamics, fluid mechanics, thermodynamics, heat transfer, mm-hmm. chemistry, chemical reaction engineering, they're out of fields. And you should combine all these theoretical, work, theoretical works behind and create a model how you can, because you are mimicking nature, which is completely hard. And based on these models, you are carrying out a numerical simulation, which has uh, several drawbacks. And you are, visualize, you are visualizing or you are solving out some uh, problems that you have come up. And afterwards, uh, what you are doing uh, here, in fact, uh, ARVR, it's transferring this data into ARVR. It's completely data science because you have 3D formats and processing these 3D formats in ARVR also a bit challenging because people, if you are working on ARVR format, you are basically working on 3D data formats. And the 3D data format includes different kind of things. For example, it includes a geometry, texture, and also scene that you will have like cameras, lights. So uh, from an engineer point of view here, doing simulations for me, it was quite easy. And I had a problem with how to transfer the data in ARVR. But for instance, for the people who are game scholars or working on ARVR, for them, it's very easy to implement those things to ARVR, but they don't have any idea about how to do these numerical simulations. So right now, that's why I put my whole hand a bit forward to see, and that also this is an opportunity that Charming Project gave all of us, how to combine these multidisciplinary studies to create uh, and uh, achieve our objectives in the project. Okay, so what is it about augmented reality or even virtual reality that interests you the most, just generally speaking, or perhaps specifically related to your research? Um, AR and VR, I think they are both uh, friendly ways to enrich a digital environment. They will uh, really bring in uh, a different uh, futuristic way to show off uh, environments to people. But the problem here, I think it's uh, still content. And uh, ARVR, I think they are basically using the same data structure, same 3D models. In the AR, you should just map your data onto real environment. And the VR, you can create a complete virtual environment. It's much more, uh, you have freedom in the AR because mm-hmm. you, it's like you have a blackboard, it's completely empty, and you're just start drawing, you're just start writing what, whatever you want. But in the AR, you have a background already. 
which is more easy for a developer. And you should just map what you want, would like to do. And I said, since we are millennials and <laughs> Z generation, we are quite familiar with this virtual environment. And uh, in the project also, this is one of my uh, prior aims. Um, I would like to create something sustainable, not not for just one use. Because as I see, especially for this cheap AR and VR technologies, cheap, I mean, very decently developed, um, people are just using one or two times. And afterwards, they know that this is something interesting it was, but right now, not anymore. It's interesting because they already used, they got the information, they got the sense that they could have, and it's done. Instead, uh, this is what I... Did put, which is what I did put a hand forward here, like trying to develop something sustainable in which we can easily change data. We can easily design an environment based on the requirements that we will have. So selecting areas, AR definitely interests me more because it's an insight from the real environment and you can easily adapt uh, simulations at least into real environment. And for being uh, digital natives, I could say we are digital natives. Yeah, yeah, we are. VR, it's quite familiar for us. And instead of uh, taking attention of the student, at least in the classroom, I think AR will be more appropriate. But of course, both technologies will definitely be used in this project. At least I'm going to consider. And have you already pictured like a real application for chemical education? Do you have something in mind, like a real example where this or what you are doing is going to really make a difference? I believe it will. <laughs> for instance, what I could say here for the simulation, in fact, we are since our birth, we, we know that there is physical rules in the world. For instance, when you're watering your garden, you know that, uh, for example, if there is a dead corner in which you cannot spread, or spread water, you can just squeeze out of the pipe and you know that the water can move farther. In, in fact, this is a very basic physical phenomena everyone probably knows. Mm -hmm. But when you go to school, when you go to university and explain to students, at first there's a, there's a bunch of equations. Mm -hmm. You know that there's a pressure difference between in and outlet and when you reduce pressure, velocity increases, so on, and things are getting complicated. But if you can give students a daily-based example from a real life, I think they supposed to be increased their comprehension on those topics. And at least they can find the real time, real experiments that they can even can do at mm. home. So within this project, I think this is uh, what I am also uh, doing simulations uh, as a twin in the real life also. And I think that might be beneficial for chemical education, for a chemistry topic, I guess. So I also understand that you're soon going to be visiting a conference in Italy to present some of the research you've produced. Do you mind maybe giving us a sneak peek into uh, what you might be presenting? Um, as being a researcher, somehow we should publish what we have done. <laughs> and also, I think we should definitely do that because otherwise we forget. If you are not writing or collecting what you have done, at some point the information just will be dismissed. So I just try to write down, write down what I have done so far. What I have done so far is to generate a generic uh, system architecture to develop uh, a virtual environment, virtual environment, I mean AR, VR with engineering simulations and showing a generic workflow to developers how they can use uh, CFT simulations in AR, VR. Uh, the conference, it's 30th European Symposium on Computer-Aided Process Engineering Conference. It's something annual and prominent in this field, especially for process intensification and chemical engineering part. Uh, it will be held on May 24, 27, 2020 in Italy, Milano. So together with my colleague Pedro, we will be there and we are going to give a 20 minute long uh, presentation 
to show enough or uh, first results and outcomes. Afterwards, also given, of course, a further sight. And also, I really wonder how uh, people from this field are thinking about uh, my research because they are basically engineers and they're working on scientific topics, like doing experiments, trying to investigate how chemical reaction in a very deeper part works. So I really wonder about also their feedbacks of this technology and development that we have so far can be useful for their current project and in the future, uh, what we can also even do in a collaborative way. Yeah, I think it's a perfect opportunity to spread what you are doing and also maybe get more people on board. Yeah, also yeah, get in touch with your community while working on uh, for a content part because they are creating for content for <laughs> us. <laughs> they yeah, are developing yeah. models. Yeah. Well, uh, Tim, do you have any other questions for us, Erkin? No, just thank you very much for sharing the um, sharing your ideas on those different topics. Yeah, thank you, thank you for joining us. And it's always very nice to, to hear what other people is doing. And you're always uh, welcome to come back with us. Yeah, thank you very much, you too. Yeah. I think for me, it was a very nice experience today that I, <laughs> at first time I spoke in a podcast. And also Tim and Jesse know that uh, I really fond of listening to podcasts and giving a speech here. It's like a great experience. <laughs> and thank you, both of you. You are really doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was a fantastic interview we had with Sirkin a few days ago. And I guess one of the first things I wanted to see from your perspective, Jesse, is did you have any ideas about maybe what was one of the key takeaways from what Sirkin was sharing with us? One thing that I really like about what he was explaining, of course, uh, at first his enthusiasm about what he studied and how we, he came to the Charming Project, but I think that, you know, his uh, genuine interest of sharing science to others, I think that kind of uh, define our project itself. Like we all have this uh, sensation. And I think that was very nice. Um, but also he mentioned something about, you know, in terms of, of the challenges that he has been facing, uh, the data content uh, generation, um, which is something that we, we all, all of us are encountering, but... Yeah, he, he has a very clear view about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I I must admit, some of the things he was talking about was a little bit over my head, considering <laughs> my background, but his enthusiasm for um, sharing his scientific sort of discoveries is, is, is definitely true. He briefly mentioned it, but Serkin has been writing a blog post for quite a while regarding different scientific topics. I guess one of the key things that I saw as a challenge that he'd identified and really resonates with me as well is the lack of content that is available in VR and AR applications or immersive learning environments. This is something I've come across even when trying to integrate, um, let's say, virtual reality in, in previous uh, jobs I've had working at schools. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find suitable learning experiences that are more than just st standalone applications where the learner can just go through the experience one at a time. And I think that's what he was referring to when he spoke about his goals to produce something sustainable. So it seems that he's actually build building tools to help people build valuable content. Yeah, and, and now, like, if you think about it, it, it 
definitely makes sense because, you know, to generate this data and to build these 3D models, normally you require a lot of, of experience in data science or, or computer science. And this is something that is not really common to find in, a, for example, a teacher or an educator that wants to bring these materials to the class is definitely not very common. So, so you know, kind of we are building the bridge between these two areas. And I think that, yeah, it might be very challenging, but just to start somewhere, you know, to develop this uh, technical content will make a big difference. Another thing that I really like about how he describes or why he wanted to start working with AR was his futuristic vision. Because, you know, I, I share this, this idea and I always imagine uh, augmented reality like uh, Iron Man, you know, like when, you, when he's uh, inside his, uh, his suit and he's seeing all this data in front of his eyes. I think that that's really cool. Yeah, he really did sort of mention that a few times that he sees this as something that is futuristic. And I mean, the funny thing is, in reality, this is something that is available today. The augmented reality sort of headset, such as the HoloLens, is it uh, with now released the HoloLens 2. I think there's been some problems with it, but we're already getting into the second or third sort of iterations of those uh, developer or even consumer pro products. I know the Magic Leap is another example of an yeah. augmented reality headset. Even Google Glass has launched a new development kit i think for for people it didn't have the same fanfare as the initial launch of the google glass but i do agree that this sort of display of data over the real world i mean once that happens it really does seem like science fiction in, in a lot of ways yeah and, and you know um if we think about how we we'll, we will change our lives with this technology it's really amazing. Like if you if you kind of dream about what we can will be able to do and what we're already doing, you know, it's really hard to predict how everything will change. But definitely, it's uh, now a lot easier to see how it's going because every day something new comes out. Uh, so let's see. <laughs> let's see, indeed. I do think there is some concern, and and rightly so, of people with this type of technology being used maybe in. Uh, nefarious ways and it's something that obviously as researchers on our project we're looking to do things um, for, a, for a positive impact and I think Circon by providing some type of database where content creators can really build sustainable applications that can be used many many times I think it's it's really nice to be involved and it was, it was very good listening to Circon talk about his vision and also his enthusiasm for actually communicating the ideas that he has. Yeah, and I think that he is really doing great. He, as you mentioned, he's very enthusiastic. And for me, working with him uh, has already opened up different worlds, you know, like physics uh, simulations and all these things that he brought to the project. So it's really, really uh, good and interesting to, to work together with him. Fantastic. So maybe we can try to get him back on the podcast in the future when he has some um, more results to share. Yeah, sure. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the Immersive Chemistry Podcast. It's been very interesting talking with another member of the uh, research team. And Jesse, do you have any final words before we say goodbye? 
Uh, yeah, just uh, let's see who else wants to participate in our podcast in the future. It was fantastic to have Zorkent here, but we hoped that all of them can come and share what they are doing. Just before we finish up, I'd like to remind our listeners that this project and this podcast has received funding from the European Union's EU Framework Program for Research and Innovation through the Horizon 2020 Grant Agreement. Thank you for listening.